welcome back to the No Score Review Show, where we have in-depth critique and nuanced discussion of the latest movies, video games, and television. I am your host, Nick Green, and today we are talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese's latest uh, epic, his latest to hit. Sorry. The, uh, <laughs> Don't leave that in. <laughs> leave what in? I don't know what you're exactly. talking about, Matt. Matt Schmidt is joining me on the show again today. Sorry. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Hi. Glad to be here. This is not sponsored by PBR. <laughs> not yet. Anyway, we'll see how they how things are not after yet. this review. Not yet. We'll see. Um, but yeah, uh, the first little bit of this review will be spoiler free. Uh, so worry not about any explicit plot details or anything. Uh, first off, we'll just kind of go into our expectations for the film uh, before we went and saw it. And then just our general thoughts overall. Uh, there will be like an explicit spoiler warning once we want to deep dive into everything. Um, so yeah, Matt, want to kick things mm. off with your general thoughts on Killers? <sighs> My general thoughts. Well, I uh, I liked it a lot. I yeah. mean, I I had high expectations going into it, like everybody else, I'm sure. And I, but I feel like at the same time, it was different enough from what I thought it would be, I guess that, Mm -hmm. um, it was still surprising in a way or refreshing at least. Uh, and I, I didn't really feel the runtime. I was, when it was like the last scene and, and I, it clicked in my head probably later than it should have that like, Oh, we're wrapping up now. I was like, it's done already. I thought we were still, I thought we still had some mileage to go out of this. Um, I thought it, we were at like two and a half hours when that happened, uh, yeah. and we had more time to go. So just goes to show, I, I, in my opinion, how good the editing was in that movie that mm-hmm. made it a, such a long movie feel like it wasn't as long. Right. Yeah. I would, what agree. About you? uh, like honestly, because I went and saw it in IMAX and the IMAX theater in our, uh, uh vicinity has terrible seating. And I yeah, think I've told that's a few why people, I went to the VIP for this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a stunning movie visually, um, but I don't know that. I mean, especially for like our uh, IMAX theaters here, I don't know that it could have been uh, any less impactful if I just went to regular seating or even like the reclined seating in VIP or whatever. Was it um, in the full aspect ratio for the whole thing, like Oppenheimer uh, yeah. was? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I, I think so anyway. I'm not as like up on my uh, aspect ratios. So I don't. Well, take I mean, it wasn't, all. it wasn't noticeably squishing down into like no, super widescreen. No. At no. chunks. Um, okay. But yeah, what I've been telling a few people uh, lately is the, the seating arrangement in the IMAX theater I was in. Uh, did more to make me feel those three and a half hours than the film itself did. Yeah, um, that that happens. Yeah. Were uh, you at the the Silver City in uh, Richmond? Is that the yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. I think the Langley one is the same too. I yeah, I don't really think they're. Mu- yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, they're probably built around the same time because they're both like the super big, extravagant buildings with yeah shit all over the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that one and the uh the Coquitlam one, I think. Also is yeah. pretty Metro Town's kind of like that. They've got like sculptures yeah. and stuff hanging around. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I would say uh, the pacing of it felt really good overall. The writing and editing definitely made sure of that. Um, it this like I've talked with you, Matt, about this a few times, and I'm very much learning this more as I have started to review uh, movies and just media in general. Uh, specifically with movies, though, is like you find certain types of films or just certain films take longer to absorb and like need some like ruminating on because when I actually like wrote my letterbox review, I think that was very, very much a rushed version of my thoughts of that. Um, because like the more I read other people's takes on it now, and the more I sit with it, like days after seeing it, the more and more, I come to realize just how powerful a film this was and just how well crafted and well handled the, the movie as a whole was uh, just in every sense of the term. Um, And yeah, it's, it's a very like one of the most profound movies I've seen this year. Uh, And I think that's something I'm learning. This movie has shown me that I need to uh, kind of recognize more and be okay with just kind of letting it sit with me a little bit more before deciding to kind of establish my thoughts on. And I mean, like thoughts and feelings towards media and art is always changing and always flowing. Um, So like, it's not like it'll be a definitive thing. This is what I think. And that's said and done. Yeah, of course. Because um, like even with this example right now, like I put some thoughts and feelings I had on the movie right after seeing it. And then now obviously I'm being able to process it, process it a little bit more. But yeah, this was just a very interesting kind of step back and be like, okay, yeah, this film is showing me like how different the review process can be for different types of movies and just media and art in general. So Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff where the the good qualities of particularly with films or with music in a lot of cases is a lot of times with the grander and maybe more subtle kinds of movies like this as opposed to an action movie or a comedy or something the good parts of it aren't necessarily apparent immediately when you watch it Cause they don't, it, it's not like throwing stuff at you where it's like, right. Hey, look at me, look at this. Uh, it, it definitely does tend to take a little bit longer to let these things sort of sink in or like require multiple viewings. Cause like even myself, I could barely get a review or anything out of myself because I'm like, I, there's too much here to, to think about. Like I got to yeah. sit on this for a long time, but when I end up getting in like a phase like I am kind of right now of watching a lot of movies uh, sequentially, I can't not write something down or else I just get a backlog and it's like, Oh, there's five movies now that I have seen since writing my last thing down. And then Mm -hmm. it gets really daunting. uh, And it's like, Oh, a big task. And then all of a sudden, Oh, there's a month gone by where I haven't written a letterboxed review and all of a sudden I've got 15 movies now that I need to write. Right. Uh, so what I think is very underutilized method of writing reviews is the edit review function. You know, 
you watch a movie, you give your thoughts on it. You have more thoughts later. You don't want to wait until you watch the movie another time to write them down somewhere. Just add a little like edit colon point at the bottom of your review and be like, Hey, I had some more thoughts later on. Yeah. And you can amend yourself and you can tack it on and, and give your full thoughts. Totally. More people should do that. I think Yeah. I should do that more. I know for sure. There's so many movies I watched at VIF this year that I'm, I've had more thoughts about and I want to go back and like, yeah, make a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah. Something with like film festivals that makes total sense where you're saying like, you want to be able to like kind of keep track of all of your thoughts and feelings you had, especially if you're seeing so many things within such short succession of one another. Yeah. Um, like you can't let 20 movies sit over yeah, a exactly. few days <laughs> yeah. when you're seeing them in a week. Totally. Yeah, totally. But yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's like a weird mental block in my head. I have, I think of the whole like editing a review at like something I get hung up on that I'm like, no, I, I, I put my thoughts down. I'll have to wait or something, but yeah, that's more of a personal thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, changing your review is one thing if right, you want to yeah. like go and like remove stuff or do whatever, change yeah. your wording. But if you're just adding like an addendum at the bottom, yeah, whatever, well, yeah, everybody will know that you can add the date to it. So it's like, yeah, you know, sure. how many days later it took. Yeah. Um, but like also uh, different movies and media and art require more out of the viewer. This is kind of essentially what you were saying earlier mm-hmm. uh like that you have to because there was a lot of discussion kind of around this film in particular uh in regards to several just like facets of the film like whether it be the subject matter of an old white man tackling like indigenous uh history or if it's just the like simplistic like nature of the three and a half hour runtime different movies will require different things out of its audience. And I think you kind of have to meet it halfway or meet it somewhere in the middle of like a man, like tempering your expectations of the film. Like if you're going to go in to this movie being like, Oh, I got to watch a 300, three and a half hour movie. Then chances are you're probably going to feel that runtime. Mindset is everything. Exactly. Yeah. So like, you want to, and, but then just also in terms of the subject matter as well, because like I mentioned it, but I think just briefly, really quickly, I think the subject matter is tackled very well and Scorsese does it in a very yeah. masterful way. Um, but like just managing those expectations and not going in with that preconceived notion uh, will do wonders for you. And then just on a very neutral level of any sort of subject matter, like the more surface level stuff of like maybe more genre or like action heavy uh, movies and media versus more cerebral, more heavy topics will demand that you kind of spend more time with it and give it that extra effort in order for you to actually receive something out of it. You get what you put in basically. Um, And that like goes for every sense of uh, media and art like that. So, uh, yeah, that's, this is a weird kind of general thoughts. I am in agreement. I really <laughs> it like has this become more well. of a, like general thoughts about movies in yeah. general. Yeah. 
just this one. Yeah, it's just been a very like, especially like even after VIF and everything too, because that showcased a lot of different type of movies to me. Because I've yeah. definitely been more skewing towards the genre side and the like Holly like standard uh, North America Hollywood blockbuster uh, scene, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, between like VIF and now this movie, it's just revealing a lot to me of like the way we engage with media. And like, I also saw something, this is slightly tangential, but like uh, media outlets pitting uh, Killers of the Flower Moon against Taylor Swift's era's theatrical God. run. And it's like, well, they're two completely different things. Like, why are you saying this one's going to obviously outgross uh, killers of the flower moon like because that's it, you're just, it's apples and race cars type of yeah thing. it's like, like barbie and oppenheimer all yeah. over again like one yeah. of them is a mass appeal kind of movie that's pg-13 and yeah. the other one is a an r-rated long historical drama like exactly it's, you know it's not yeah. the same yeah and it just like sucks that I mean, that again, that just brings in a whole other kind of tangent that we could talk about. But yeah, bringing it back to Killers of the Flower Moon, this was very impactful. It was almost a slow burn after the fact for me. Um, it took some ruminating. So maybe that's kind of where I'm going with this whole general thoughts thing is like, give it the effort, give it the time. And I'm sure you will be able to find something to take away from it, especially if you haven't. If you're not as frequent in these types of films before, yeah, um, yeah that's uh, that's kind of where I'm landing with with this film. I've like, I, I mean, I already said it really in my letterbox review. Like, I so appreciate that we still have people and filmmakers like Scorsese around still today making these types of films um, because it get, just gives you a, a whole other level of appreciation for the medium. Um, yeah. and for storytelling so uh yeah that's kind of where i'm at it's a very strong recommendation i would say uh and i'd say it's probably one of the most important movies of the year for people yeah. to see and also just totally. i mean historically yeah. uh and with the subject matter that like if you're going to see any kind of potential oscar movie Mm-hmm. This is probably the one so far. I'd say more so than Oppenheimer. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, if you're going to pick a like historical biopic esque three hour movie, then this one I think because like I mean like Oppenheimer was definitely more leaning towards the scope of it all. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, it was definitely flashier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of where we'll leave our general thoughts. I didn't really go uh, much into my expectations. I'm not super uh, seasoned in Scorsese's filmography. So I had virtually no expectations going mm. into this. Um, so yeah, it's nothing, nothing uh, super interesting in that, that department for me. Uh, so yeah, this will be the spoiler warning for killers of the flower moon. If you don't want to know any details about the film going in, uh, then pause this review here and come on back once you've seen it. So Matt, what are some highlights and lowlights you have of this film? 
uh, highlights is um, anytime Lily Gladstone was on screen. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. She is going to be getting some awards this year. I yep. think uh, at the like very least awards buzz buzz is already. Yeah. Has already I mean, started. she's going to be nominated for every award season or every award show, whatever mm -hmm. uh, ceremony thing. Yeah. It's going to be, she's, it's, she's going to be one of those people that, you know, like, Oh, golden globes gets this person. The Oscars gets this other person. She's going to be one of those people that's taking home best actor, depending on what award it's, gonna be like what show it's from mm -hmm. who knows uh you know sag uh whatever the other fucking ones yeah. are that i don't <laughs> i don't care really what they are we know what you mean yeah. but you know what i mean uh yeah she was fantastic i mean the editing was on point it just it the movie flew by in my opinion it felt like we were always jumping scene to scene just when we needed to we were getting the right amount of breathing but it also wasn't wasting time it was gorgeous the music was great Loved the music. Uh, leo was really good uh he was great at playing like a sort of sympathetic piece of shit uh because it's very clear that he really does love this woman but he can't get out from this kind of scheme that his uncle has yeah. set him on and i think he just doesn't realize it until it's too late or he's he has too much family loyalty there's so much that you can read into the motivations of these characters whether you're the kind of person that you know a lot of people i think are just going to say oh he's a piece of shit fuck him i don't care i don't like that but i think that's what makes it interesting like i don't want to watch movies like this and be like totally necessarily cheering for the hero all the way to be like the champion of truth and love and honor all the well, time. Well, it's just a know? more accurate depiction of humanity, right? Like we're not yeah. just whacking. And because it's evil. a fucking true story as yeah. well. So, yeah. and it's like the, the care that Scorsese put into this, uh, just so good. I honestly don't really have any lowlights other than, Maybe like some of the violence, I would have liked it to be maybe a little bit more visceral to really drive the point home. But at the same time, it kind of fits in with what the idea of the film is, is that all of this happened without anybody really knowing or caring. So the fact that the violence isn't flashy and it's sort of it's so more subdued and, and yeah. yeah, just presented in the way that like, yep, this happened. Yep, this guy got stabbed. Yep, this guy got shot in the head. Yep, the house yep. blew up. But we don't see it happen. We just, you know, we see the aftermath. We see the damage. Um, yeah, I think it, it was pretty fantastic. And that final scene when Scorsese walks up to the microphone and close up on the face, tears in the eyes. Man, that is the that is the kind of shit that sticks with you. Yeah, for sure. Well, like, and it's also because I think largely what my kind of highlights and lowlights for this film will be is kind of just re contextualizing all of the lowlights I might've had with it initially. Yeah. Um, but that was one of the things that like I was talking with Robin in the car on the way uh, back from the theater of like, it sticks out initially as this like gimmicky thing of like, Oh, the director put himself in his own movie again type thing. But like when you like stop and like, listen to and like actively pay attention to what is happening like he 
he is delivering that message of this atrocity that happened. And like, it's, it just has a lot more, I can't articulate it now, but like I saw someone put it in really good perspective uh, in their review, but it just has so much more weight to it than just this like gimmicky um, cameo for the director himself. Like he's delivering the message of the film and it like packs that punch even harder for him to say that and not just have some nondescript character, you know, Um, there's a weight to it that uh, is like really appreciated. And it just shows uh, it's like a microcosm of his entire effort towards this whole story of like the care and attention that he has for it. Um, Yeah. That was like one of the things uh, that I have come to fully appreciate now, like even the, the radio show ending uh, felt odd at first, but it makes total sense of like this true story is even still being on display uh, and so matter of fact and just showing you the uh, horrors of what happened to these people and it's still just being like it's almost like a meta commentary of like even Scorsese is like part of the machine and putting it on uh, to be shown uh, for audiences of like just trivializing it as entertainment uh, for the masses Um, but then again with that final message too like stopping everything to like really hone in on why this was such an important story and how much of an effect it has had on those people. Um, It has sat with me much better now kind of realizing how it plays into the whole whole film. Um, Yeah. Uh, What's what, what's another thing I wanted to talk about? Do you have any other big, uh, noteworthy highlights you wanted to talk about um in more I depth think i think uh the well, the finale i think just in general the way that they dealt with the the last bit of the court case that long take on leo uh when he's giving his testimony was fantastic yeah. and then with that final scene in the room when he's uh talking to his wife and he still lies to her face and like mm-hmm. i think the way that they were able to cut that then and go into the whole stage production was so smart because essentially the real story that we're watching here is him lying to his wife over Mm -hmm. and over and over again, yet despite clearly caring for her and loving her. And when we get this final end of their story where he continues to lie about the penis or what? No, not penicillin, uh, Insulin. insulin, despite the fact that she already fucking knows because she went to the hospital, they did tests. They know that, Mm -hmm. no, you weren't getting insulin. He was poisoning you with something else. Mm -hmm. And then when he still does that final lie, the story is effectively over. Like that is the main narrative that we are paying attention to here. So then the fact that they are able to just give us all of the like factual stuff, like, okay, what happened now? And and just give us all of the factual stuff that we need to know to get the regular closure of like the grander story at Mm -hmm. hand. I think that was such a good way to wrap it up. And Mm -hmm. it, it's an amazing almost editing technique in itself of just be like, okay, that probably could have been another, 
45 minutes to a half hour of movie if they had just played it out narratively. But Mm -hmm. the fact that they were able to think of that way to end the film was such a great idea from Scorsese. And uh, we need more stuff like that. You know, don't, we don't need this epilogue that drags on and on and on at the end of movies. Mm -hmm. Just give it, you know, I know it wouldn't fit in this kind of movie, but I personally, I'm a huge fan of when we get the like the ending credits and then freeze frame over top of characters and then where are they now? Like this character right. went on and did this. This character's doing this now. Like yeah. I love that stuff. I yeah. might be alone compared to um, the opposite opinion, uh, but I love that kind of thing. And I want more creative ways to give resolution to a story rather than just like slowing down and, and closing up every narrative thread one after another, just find new ways to close things up at the end. Yeah. And that was a great one. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Um, you touched on uh, DiCaprio's performance a little bit that I think mm-hmm. felt uh that was another low late I kind of had. I I thought he was the weakest of like the big three. Um, and uh, I would say Gladstone, maybe... uh, Leo and Baba de Beppo. Yeah. Baba de Beppo. <laughs> um, Baba de Beppo. I mean, yeah. Uh, Brendan Fraser, obviously. Oh yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I still kind of think and that. Jesse Plemons. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse Plemons. Um, it it because initially it felt like because one of the bigger problems I had initially was that it felt repetitive uh, some of the time. Like we kept seeing um, each family member be taken out, and then uh, like like you get one family member at a time. Like the the uh, instrumentation of their demise basically is being played out fully on screen um and then you just go to the court case and everything and wrapping all of that up it just kind of felt very uh like similar to me and i didn't see a ton of like range isn't the right word but just he just felt very one note to me uh Ernest felt uh, that way. Um, I was just more invested in like De Niro's performance of like all smiles on the front, but like absolutely sinister, uh, like the devil incarnate uh, in the shadows and everything. And like most, I would say probably at least like 90, 95% of his scenes, there's like, he's always putting on that like positive uh, side, but there's always that like, um, sinister uh subtext underneath yeah there's like rarely ever a scene where he's like actively uh malicious or malignant towards someone else um and that was just a more compelling performance to me it just felt a lot like uh sulky leo (laughs) a lot of the time yeah um but like what you said about his internal struggle of like constantly being manipulated and not feeling like he can surmount the odds uh, against him with being like too entrenched with the family business effectively. Uh, 
and that like that whole uh not courtroom scene but like when he goes to see uh the like room of lawyers and and like the uh yeah. this uh, jury members as well at his uncle's house is like re- really intense and overwhelming and it's just like it's a inescapable feeling uh and but yeah i don't know something about it just felt one note to me at at first um i think a lot of that could also be because his character has a flat arc which isn't something that we see often with protagonists in movies like this and especially when it's a long movie and you Mm -hmm. don't have that progression over the course it really does start to feel stagnant but when i think that's something that will change upon rewatch when you come back a second time knowing where it's going because really what you have here is a character who has like his set internal struggle and it's sort of him against the world and the world his wife is asking him to change and his uncle is asking him to be a certain way and he's stuck in this middle and eventually he is just swallowed up by this lie that he has built and I think that's a, quite a fascinating uh, way of designing a character. Mm-hmm. And I think once you go back into it, not expecting him to make like a big character change, right. then the different pressures coming at him in different directions from different people, I think will have a stronger resonance. And I think that's where the movie really succeeds is like Leo is this this mirror in the middle that is sort of picking up all the different perspectives from everybody else. Uh, And so it does kind of make him seem a little bit bland, but that's, I feel like that's kind of by design as well. Right. And it, he's supposed to be like, you can't really get a read on him, you know, Mm -hmm. because who like, does he love his wife or does he want to kill her? Does he want to do this? Does it all for the money or whatever? Uh, So I think that is something that with time, maybe will be more realized by um, the general audience. Cause I have seen a lot of other people with that same complaint as well. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it's, it's incorrect because definitely he, he does go pretty straight across for the whole right. movie. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think given time, there will be more to uncover about his performance that maybe we just haven't realized yet. I think it's sure. something that definitely needs to be absorbed more. And I think um, like part of that, part of all of it really like can stem from like the preconceived notion and the expectations going into it as subtle as they might be. Um, Cause like you see a, uh, like a, I don't know what there's a specific term for it, but like a, an acclaimed trailer gets put out for the movie where like critic reviews are in it and everything. And you see like Leo's best performance of his career. And it's like, okay, well then you expect some range or a huge revolutionary arc or something. Right. Um, and yeah, you just kind of go in with those preconceived uh, or like those expectations um and you're not kind of ready maybe uh to pick up on those nuances the first time around um but yeah uh yeah just sitting with it more listening to you kind of 
dissect it more makes more and more sense to me in the context of how uh, this film is kind of structured. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of this review is just going to be like me kind of uh, sitting how, with hmm, uh, uh, how I hmm. felt. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that, that's an interesting <laughs> point. Um, other kind of more just kind of matter of fact highlights, Jesse Plemons, we mentioned him. I really liked him. He's, he's great good. in everything he's in. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen, I think that's just a different film though, of kind of focusing on the FBI agent kind of, uh, it's a more like procedural investigative drama of like finding out what's going on, uncovering the mystery of what happened to all of these people. Um, Unfortunately, they didn't really care enough to actually do it in real life. So there isn't really that movie to be had, I think. Very true. Very true. Um, And then like another thing I uh, would have liked to have seen more is just sitting with Molly more and having that kind of more cerebral paranoia of like the town's people, uh, are becoming more and more untrustworthy and it feels like her world is falling apart. Um, and like we kind of get to see more of her side of that story again. I don't know if that even exists, uh, or if it's even possible, uh, at least from a a director like Scorsese. I mean, it seems like for most of it, she was in a fucking borderline coma in bed. Also that's very true. Very yeah, true. but I, I will say I was expecting a little bit more of her in it. She mm-hmm. gets sick pretty early on in the movie and then is just bedridden for like at least the whole back half. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Well, and it's also played. Uh, well, I mean, it is played so that De Niro and DiCaprio like are the focus and we're watching like the protagonist effectively are the people who are doing the murdering and doing all the plotting and scheming. Um, So Mm -hmm. yeah, again, I I think it might just be a completely different film. And I've seen that in a couple uh, like reviews and the discussion surrounding this film is like, overall, I think Scorsese knows his strengths and he plays to those strengths. Like he's not trying to pretend he's something he's not with this subject matter. He is able to, uh, based off my limited uh, experience of his filmography, he's able to kind of fit those themes and um, use the tools at his disposal that he's mastered already and put it into this framework of this story very well. He's not like, um, because uh, like a lot of the time people are just kind of boiling it down to the whole old white man, like depicting uh, indigenous atrocities type thing. Right. And it, and yeah, people I are think probably, that's a, that's a pretty weak criticism. Yeah. I people think. are, and I say are, the same thing about avatar. Right. He, people, Scorsese and James Cameron are not stopping indigenous filmmakers from telling these kind of stories. Right. If anything, them telling these stories is creating more of a demand and more interest for other indigenous filmmakers to be able to do similar things. Yeah. Um, you know, cause if he wouldn't have made this, that would just be one less movie about indigenous people that was mm-hmm. made this year. Well, and, and I think we want people, more of those stories. Absolutely. 
I hope like it, if nothing else spurs that interest and that curiosity for more stories or maybe more perspectives on this story as well. Um, but I think the common thread people kind of run with is like just interpreting it or assuming that it's going to be an exploitative movie because of the like limited context of like the uh, things I said before. Uh, but it's, it's not, it's just no. like matter of fact, not what it is. And like, like I said, it's, it's him playing to his strengths and just not, not uh, pretending to be what he's not. Yeah. So. And he, he said in like the featurette that was leading up to the film that about how closely they worked with people from the, the Osage community mm-hmm. and how they wanted to be as, uh, as honest and as truthful as they could be in representing this struggle. And I think they did a great job. I mean, yeah. people can get upset all they want about a white guy telling this story, blah, blah, blah. But the community that it is about has literally endorsed this movie. Yeah. So I don't think there's really any merit for other white people to be getting upset on their behalf, yeah. which in most cases, from what I've seen, is the case. Right. And I think that's, it's just an important note to bring up, I think, because uh, it's worth like shouting into the zeitgeist of everything of like, that's not what this movie is. So try not to go into this movie if you haven't seen it with those expectations or preconceived notions, because I think you'll just set yourself up for failure Yeah, um, and see what you want to see and therefore not try to engage with the film as much anymore. So just something I wanted to kind of keep in, keep in the discussion because um, it's worth noting. Um, there was something else. Oh, the, like, cause the, the language uh, consultant for the film, there's a great interview with him and he's talking about Scorsese's take on the whole film and that like, yeah, it is not from an Osage perspective, but it's his perspective and he's doing his perspective very well and he's doing it in a very respectful and honoring manner. So yeah. yeah. And that's all I have to say about that. All right. I think you said a lot. (laughs) Uh, Any other last highlights or lowlights mostly on my end? I mean, I've already said everything is a highlight for me. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think um, in terms of going to see it on the big screen, uh, where, where, what are your thoughts with that, Matt? I mean, I say go and support it. These kind of movies are the kind of movies that we should be seeing on the big screen. Uh, and this is the kind of movies that Scorsese was talking about when he made his whole Marvel whatever thing. You know, we should be going to see movies that, resonate with us about in, in teach us lessons and uh, resonate with like uh, humanity and yeah. uh, real emotion and human connectivity. Like this is the kind of stuff that we should be seeing in a room with other people and have that kind of shared experience. And this is what we should be giving money to mm-hmm. you, like any of that other kind of bullshit pulp, whatever, like you can't seriously tell me that, Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania looked better on a big screen when Mm -hmm. it looked like shit 
like that deserves to be watched on the smallest screen possible so that you can't see how bad it actually is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So maybe go see it in IMAX. If you got, I mean, it's got the whole big aspect ratio. It's going to be more picture. You're going to not see that when you watch it on Apple TV. Uh, I say it's worth it, you know? Yeah. I would say because like, I would say it is worth going to see for those those reasons to su- support uh, not indie cinema because this isn't indie cinema, but like to support non-enfranchised films um, yes. and to support good stories uh, with important subject matter, important stories. Um, and yeah, biggest screen possible. Uh and I mean, get get some comfy seating if possible, because like you are going to have to sit for a while. But uh, as long as you have a comfy seat, that that film should fly by just like it did for Matt. So. <laughs> and uh, I think that's probably where we're going to leave it, because we could probably just sit here for another hour and kind of dissect anything and everything. But uh, I think we'll leave it uh, there. Matt, thank you so much for kind of letting me vent and just kind of uh, <laughs> vomit up all my thoughts and like ruminate with it on me. Um, this was a very uh, enlightening film as a reviewer, if I can call myself that, um, or just as a media consumer at the very least. Um, so, yeah, and I uh, appreciate you uh, coming on to the show to talk with me as always. Anytime. It's always um, a pleasure. Where can the people find you? People can find me on letterboxd, uh, letterboxd.com slash wisdom nugget and other things from there. Excellent. Uh, we haven't done this mini segment in a while. Do you have any other recommendations of things you're watching, reading, playing, listening to as of late? Um, I have been going back and watching through Scooby-Doo. I mean, sorry, the 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Okay. Uh, which is, I think, a very underrated entry into the t- the Scooby-Doo TV canon. Mm-hmm. It's been sort of like my nightly episode watch uh, on my little TV. It's a series? like a. It's a series. Okay. Yeah, it's a 13-episode series from, I think, either the late 80s or the early 90s or so. Mm-hmm. Um, features Shaggy in the the not-often-seen red shirt and blue pants. Right, yeah. Uh, and then we got Scooby, Scrappy, Daphne uh, with some crazy outfits, very 80s-inspired uh, different hair that's kind of like Debbie Harry with bangs and stuff. Uh, and then... Vincent Price plays uh, a sort of a fictional version of himself as a warlock. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a young uh, sort maybe like Himalayan boy called Flim Flam that was based <laughs> off of um, Short Round from uh, oh, okay. uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, manages to make Scrappy-Doo seem less horrible by comparison <laughs> oh okay so scrappy is no longer the most annoying character in this show <laughs> he talks like a 1950s greaser 
and he's always trying to like sell stuff and it's all i just hate his character so much <laughs> but vincent price makes up for it and then there's these other two That's ghost good. characters because this is just one of the few thing or a uh, few ips no i'm saying the wrong words few iterations of scooby-doo where the ghosts are real it's not people in masks oh okay so they like go up and these two ghosts, one of them is called weird and he looks like the cheese string guy. And one of them is called Bogle and he's kind of like shorter and chubbier and goofier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they managed to track down or like lure mystery Inc to their secret hiding place and get them to open up the chest of demons, which is containing 13 mm-hmm. of the most terrifying ghosts that have ever uh, seen the earth. So then they accidentally set them free And then Vincent Price is like, you fucking idiots, take this chest and go get those fuckers and put them back in the chest because you guys messed up. So then the story is them going around and having to, you know, find all these different ghosts. And it there's a lot of great little things that uh, like little bottle episodes and ideas that they have. Like one of them, they uh, there's like a ghost in a TV that sucks them into the movie they're watching. And then they have to be a part of the movie. They're watching like a Frankenstein thing. And then all of a sudden it's black and white. And there's another one where there's like a bunch of like a trio of witches that have a spell book that they're trying to capture that another ghost wants. And then Mm -hmm. there's like this little fluffy creature that's they're really cute. And night, and it's just (laughs) so much fun. It's so underrated. I wish more people would watch it. I wish it got more love and I, would recommend it. Cool. That sounds like a perfect spooky season. Yeah, it's perfect Halloween. I watch it every every October and it unfortunately it got canceled halfway through due to like budget issues or something. So there isn't actually like an ending to the series. Oh uh, really? Which is really unfortunate. Uh but it leaves a lot up to the imagination of where, you know, this thing could have gone. It had so much potential. Uh, and the episodes that we get are good enough to go back and rewatch over and over, even though it doesn't have any kind of closure because we just get like 13 great episodes and it has no room to decline. So, well, at least you get, cause I'm assuming it's uh, one of the ghosts per episode, right? Yes. But then there are some, uh, where other characters are the focus. And then at one point, all the ghosts get let out near the end oh. of the episodes that we oh, have. Okay. So, so like they would have had to restart, too. essentially. I think they they only have two ghosts in the chest by the time the episodes run out, but, oh. gotcha. but it's good. Cool. So it would have been even great because then you would get like recurring ghosts that would keep coming back and you get yeah. to learn more. They all have a very strong personality and like a gimmick each time. And it's really, really clever stuff. That's awesome. The 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. I'll have to check. What it about out. you, Nick? What are you watching slash listening to well, slash other my, things right now? Uh, recommendation uh, would be, oh God. I mean, <laughs> the most recent thing that I am playing is Spider-Man 2, the new PS5 game. Uh, it, it does feel a little like uh, ironic to be recommending that during a review for a Martin Scorsese film. But, Maybe. Um, been like Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, sp- if you like Spider-Man it's and have a PS5, definitely strong recommendation. Uh, yeah. Um, 
In terms of my plugs, you can find me wherever you're listening to or watching this episode of the NoSco Review Show. Uh, in line with Matt's recommendation, it is the spooky season as recording this uh, episode. Uh, me and Matt did a franchise in review for the Friday the 13th franchise. Yes, we did. Uh, and I also have a playlist of horror movie reviews up on the channel that include that franchise in review, as well as a review of the Conjuring universe and all of the other, well, most of the other horror films that have come out this year that I've seen. Uh, so you could go check that out if you're wanting some more uh, Halloween spooky content. Uh, my latest review as of recording this as well is uh, the first season of Ahsoka, if you like Star Wars. Um, I have some more reviews that should hopefully be up before this episode uh, debuts for the um, Vancouver International Film Festival. Still got to work on that. Uh, Matt's on that one as well, where we go over our favorites and least favorites of the festival. Uh, and there was another one, another uh, horror film review for uh, Saw X. I have Shay on that one, and we discuss mm. our thoughts on that film. And uh, yeah, otherwise, you can find me on all the socials at No Score or at No Score Review. You can go check out my initial review for Killers of the Flower Moon on my letterbox at No Score, as well as all of my other written reviews. I am much more diligent in my reviews. There's way more reviews on there than what I upload to the YouTube channel and podcast services. So if you want to see uh, more of my thoughts on more movies, then that's the place to go check that out. And uh, yeah, thank you all so much for watching and listening. Matt, thank you once more for joining me. Thank and you. And we'll see you all in the next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>